0: Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be alright this morning.
2: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
3: Oh, the madness continues. What a great way to start the Sweet 16 yesterday, and what a great way to end it. As we had two classic games. Oh, and also had a directional school out of Florida advance to the lead eight as well. It's what makes the tournament amazing. And I don't know about you, but I'm pulling for Florida Atlantic. I want to see the
4: owls in the final four. Oh, Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a mid-major supporter. Directional's a bit of a stretch there, huh? Are we going to count Atlantic as directional? I think it fit. It's fair, but I just, you know, I'm just. They might have something to say about that. They might not. I, to I be did not
3: anticipate you coming to the defense of the Florida Atlantic Owls. their Florida State Seminole graduate.
4: Well, see that. I mean, they're not really on our minds. It's just, <laughs> there's a couple other schools in the state that that have a little more importance there. But no, I like Florida Atlantic, and uh, you know, they tried to turn themselves into the villains, and then I mean, they kind of still did. Some of the villain type stuff, they're very, you know, confident with the way they play basketball, but... They did
3: win 33 games, so... Yeah, well,
4: that'll, that'll, do, that that'll
3: do that for you. That'll do that for you. You feel pretty good about yourself. <laughs> good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. He is D'Lo, Dawson Iserlo, the producer extraordinaire. I'm Raymond the Third, better known as RP3. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. And just a reminder that EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We have a jam-packed show for you today. We got five guests, the rare five-guest extravaganza here on RP3 and company. James Yasko is going to be joining us to talk Astros at 7 o'clock. At 7:30, K.A.T.C. Sports Director Seth Lewis will be joining us to talk all things Raging Cajuns. Then we'll listen to Carly Viator. She'll swing by from Festival International. That is coming up. By the way, yours truly has signed up for the 5K. Oh, that's going to be a whole story in its own right. Pam Flugents will join us in 8 o'clock. Our Karen Crow Cultural District is putting together a tremendous family-friendly event that you'll need to know about. We'll let you know about that, and then we'll talk with Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, LSU women's basketball beat reporter. So, jam-packed edition of RP3 and Company, and we're going to get to everything that you want to hear about. Weekend slate of college baseball games for LSU, UL, and McNeese have been rescheduled. We'll get to that as well as look ahead to those conference series. We'll even talk maybe if we feel it is necessary to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. But every time we do, they then turn around and start losing games. So maybe we won't. But let's start off with the NCAA Men's Tournament. It began with probably the best game, the most entertaining game of the tournament so far. Michigan State, Kansas State. I listened to this game. On our station as well as watched a little bit of it. What a great back and forth affair. It looked like Kansas State was in control. And then Michigan State made the run. They took advantage. Finally got together. It was the best offensive performance of the season for Sparty, by the way. An absolute phenomenal offensive performance by Sparty. But they had issues defensively. Like they lost guys on inbounds passes. They lost guys on screens. Which was a little surprising that a Tom Izzo team would struggle with defense as much as they did in this game. Back and forth. Had to go to overtime. But K-State is able to pull it out. Marquez Noel from New York City playing in Madison Square Garden, he rolls his ankle, and you think he's done. He had to be helped off the court. And he comes back. Even when he came back, he was limping on plays. And you're like, well, this guy's not going to be able to stay in the game. And in fact, he did stay in the game. He gutted it out. And he put on what I like to call a phenomenal performance. The five foot eight guard from Harlem, who grew up wondering if he could ever play one day inside the Mecca of basketball, put on one of the best individual performances you're going to see in a 98 93 overtime victory over Michigan State. An NCAA tournament record 19 assists. And he also scored 20 points while racking up five steals. Came up huge with big shots. Ridiculous shots. as a gut out the win. And that's how it started. That's how it began. Which was just phenomenal. And not only do you have this back and forth affair. And... Michigan State just rose to the occasion as well. The play from Noel to Keontae Johnson. (laughs) Where he's arguing with his coach, but it's all an act. He brings the ball past midcourt, starts to kind of pretend to argue with his coach. It catches Michigan State off guard. Just in enough of time for him to throw up an alley-oop pass for a reverse dunk to Keontae Johnson. A great game. A great way to start the Sweet 16. Michigan State got a ton of production offensively as well. A.J. Hallgard had 25 points. Tyson Walker, 16. Jay Atkins had 14. They made plays on their own end. And credit Michigan State for coming back. They trailed by nine points to start the second half, forcing overtime. But Noel was the star, had the great moments, and K-State moves on to the Elite Eight. But now he's going to have a day of rest. Is his ankle going to be just as good it's one thing to get injured during the game come back in because you're running on adrenaline it's another thing to after you've won the game then you have a day of rest or practice then you come back again we'll see how healthy Noel is going to be and how healthy his ankle is for their elite eight matchup While this game was going on, UConn said not to worry. Don't bother checking in on our game. And America, you don't have to worry about the Arkansas coach ripping off his shirt because there won't be any chance for that. You could argue the team that has played the best basketball of anyone in the NCAA tournament has been the UConn Huskies. We focus so much on all the upsets. We focus on the other teams. But they destroyed Arkansas. This wasn't even close. We talked about it being differing styles and how that was going to impact this game. Uh, UConn defeated Arkansas, a team that was trying to go to three straight Elite Eights, to 88-65. And it wasn't even as close as the 23-point win would suggest. They dominated this game from start to finish. An impressive display of good coaching, disciplined defense. They used their bigs extremely well. They feel like a complete team and they feel like a team, you know, a lot of people, some former coaches and others would tell you before the tournament started that they liked UConn a lot. They liked UConn to win the whole thing or at least get to the final four. And they are absolutely ridiculous. They, in this tournament outclassed and outcoached Iona and Rick Patino They outclassed and outcoached St. Mary's and coach Randy Bennett. And then they completely outclassed and outcoached Arkansas and Eric Musselman. That's what they've done. And they've looked great in all three games. So a dominant performance by, Arkansas, uh, by UConn against Arkansas. The next game up was... Tennessee, the 4C, taking on FAU, Florida Atlantic. It looked like Tennessee was going to win this game because Florida Atlantic struggled with hitting shots. They had nine turnovers and shot three of 14 from three, but found themselves down by only five at halftime against the Volunteers. That was it. Despite being sloppy, despite not being able to have their shot fall, they only trailed by five at the break. Tennessee left the door open, and then they started hitting shots in the second half. Went on a 15-2 to run, built up a seven-point lead, and the Owls held on to advance to the Elite Eight with a 62-55 to win over Tennessee. Impressive. Absolutely impressive by Florida Atlantic. When we had our guy Lee Sterling on, he said every year there's a team that wins 30 games from one of the smaller conferences that makes a run. And I asked him about Florida Atlantic. We focused on another team. It was College of Charleston who we focused in on. But Florida Atlantic's that team. And, hey, by the way, Conference USA still has a team left in the NCAA tournament. The Big Ten doesn't. The Big Ten does not have a team. By the way, the Big Ten has gotten the most bids in each of the last three NCAA tournaments. 26 total bids in the last three tournaments. This is courtesy of our friend Chris Vanini from The Athletic. So 26 bids in the last three tourneys. And have produced one Elite Eight team, no Final Fours. It's a team that gets, it's a league that gets a lot of bids that does, it gets a lot of upsets. That's what that is. And obviously, Purdue tops that list. But after a great start to the day, kind of a letdown, a, you know, an absolute dismantling of opponent, and then a pretty good comeback in the third game. The fourth game, Whoo. Gonzaga, UCLA, it lived up to the billing. It looked like UCLA was going to win this game. At least it did when I passed out in my recliner with the lamp on <laughs> and me still fully dressed. <laughs> so, when that happens, it appeared to me that UCLA was going to win the game. But I saw on social media, up oh, Gonzaga, they're going to be done a lot of people started jumping on that train. That the Zags were done, and it's been a great run, and blah, blah, blah. Well, the Zags are the ones punching their ticket to the Elite Eight. Julian Schrother, the junior guard who grew up in Las Vegas, hit a deep three-pointer and converted a free throw in the last seven seconds to give the Dogs. A 79-76 victory over UCLA on Thursday night. Gonzaga will take on UConn in the West Regional Final with a berth in the Final Four on the line. Your other Regional Final that's already set, of course, is Kansas State versus Florida Atlantic. Dawson, what did you make of the first day of the Sweet Sixteen?
4: I gotta be quick here, but I'll give some thoughts. Marquise Noel's. Unbelievable. You can take whatever time you need. Well, you are Delo producer extraordinaire. I um, appreciate that offer, though. Uh, Marquise Noel's fantastic. He actually played at Little Rock, so some people might remember. I remember him playing against the Cajuns early in his career, um, back when they were in the Sun Belt Conference. And he's one of those guys who you can just tell was probably overlooked because of his size and you know things like that. Uh, as far as like the top programs getting recruited out of college, but he is a top level player. I mean, one of the better performances I've seen in a long time from a point guard. There's a couple of plays. The, the one with the uh, the fake argument there that was fantastic. But there was a bounce pass that he threaded the needle on around oh. the same time frame of the game. He ends up he ends up breaking the record, right? Or did he? Did he? Yeah, he set the record for most assists in mm-hmm. an NCAA tournament game. I mean. Just a playmaker and when they needed some, and then he gets the steal, the block and steal to end the game, uh, so that Michigan State can't get the three off at the end. I said yesterday I thought Kansas State was the better team. It was just gonna be if Tom Izzo and that Michigan State group could use kind of his veteran experience and in the end, I think the better team, the more, you know The better team won. Yeah. They they yeah. ended up winning the game and I think that was uh that was impressive. Florida Atlantic, look, you know, one of the grossly under teams of this tournament, which I've already touched on some of the things I oh, feel yeah. about the way that they treat mid-majors. Um, they beat Memphis. They get a break, obviously, playing uh, Fairleigh Dickinson over playing Purdue, but they show you kind of what they can do. I thought, and going into that game, I thought if they got to 60, they had a good chance. If they got to 65, I thought they were going to win the game. They end up at 62, right there in the middle of that, and it's enough. So um, that was finally a team that was able to somewhat solve Tennessee defensively. Still not
3: Volunteers just are not an offensive team. Yeah, they team. just didn't
4: have enough and they right. don't have a go-to guy. We talked about that. They, yeah. they did it all tournament um, and that was kind of where their ceiling was. Um, and then moving into, you know, can look, UConn at Arkansas? That was a little surprising how dominant it was, but I did think UConn was the better team there. And then in the nightcap, you know, look Gonzaga's the team I said I believed in finally got one right. Here they are. They, they kind of uh, overachieved their seed number and now they're going to have a chance to play uh, a really good UConn team. That's going to be a really, really oh, good matchup. So, It's going to
3: be a very, very good matchup. I mean, I, I already, to the regional finals for the Elite Eight, I'm already kind of in love with. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Kansas State, Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic's your Cinderella team. They're trying to punch their ticket to the Final Four. Kansas State, though, doesn't have many Final Four banners on their resume.
4: Well, and and also was a team that got picked at the bottom of the conference and has a first-year coach in Jerome Tang. So not quite a Cinderella in the Big 12, but certainly a team that wasn't supposed to be here.
3: Correct. Was not supposed to be here. So already looking forward to that. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil our poll question of the day, and we'll look ahead to tonight's Sweet 16 action. That's all coming up next right here on the game.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well,
3: we have half of the Elite Eight set. We'll find out the other half tonight. Day one of the Sweet 16 in the books. Day two on tap, and we're going to look ahead here to who's going to join the likes of Gonzaga, who will be taking on... Oh, man, it's going to be a good matchup. Gonzaga-Yukon in one regional final with a Final Four berth to Houston on the line. The other regional final is going to see Florida Atlantic, who's never been to a Final Four. Heck, they've never been to an Elite Eight. They're going to be taking on K-State, who, by the way, I looked it up. They do have four Final Four appearances on the resume. The Wildcats do, Dawson. But that was in 1948, 1951, 1958, and
4: 1964. Well, that 1958 team was special. I mean, we remember. Was it that. more special than the 1951 team well, that just national runner up? That's argued. That that one's, I mean, that's, a, that's an argument as old as it's time. A, it's
3: an argument as, as, old as, as old as time. I
4: actually did. I was listening to that broadcast on my drive home last night, and I heard them say I think Kansas State was 12 and 5 in Elite Eight games going in, but haven't had nearly as many, or in Sweet 16 games. Um, but haven't had nearly as much success in the Elite Eight. As you mentioned, only four trips. So they've struggled to get to the Final Four, but they've actually been to the Elite Eight plenty of times. So this is kind of a... Uh, they're they're, they're a good to get over the hump team.
3: K-State's usually a good team to get to the Sweet 16, right? And they'll get to the Elite Eight. They just are a team that doesn't get over the hump, so to speak, to get to the Final Four. So they'll be playing for that. Today, this is the slate that we have for the Sweet 16, and I think all five are going to be fascinating. Bama's on upset alert. San Diego State is a dangerous team. We talked about it on this show. Dawson has told you about it, that he liked that matchup. That's a 5-1 seed matchup. Both of the one seeds today are going to have their hands full. Bama's going to have their hands full against San Diego State. That's the very first game of the Sweet 16 for today. After that comes Miami-Houston. In my bracket, I picked that game. I picked the Hurricanes to upset Houston in the Sweet 16. Now, if Houston plays the way they did in the first game and in the first half against Auburn, they will lose today. But if they play like they did in the second half against Auburn where they absolutely just bullied them, then they should win and move on to the regional final. But I think both Alabama and Houston, the 2-1 seeds that we have left in the NCAA tournament, are going to have their hands full today. Bama, San Diego State's in Louisville. Miami, Houston is in Kansas City. Then comes the other two games. Oh, man. Princeton, Creighton. Princeton is your 15 seed. From the Ivy League. Taking on the Creighton Blue Jays, who are a six seed. I don't believe anyone figured either one of these teams would really be there. Creighton's always been a good basketball program. But you could have another Cinderella team coming out here. Either one getting to the Elite Eight is going to be phenomenal. And then Xavier, Texas. I still like Texas. That's your nightcap. Longhorns versus the Musketeers. That's a 2-3 matchup, but that's really kind of a coin flip game. Just giving you some of the betting lines here for these games. Alabama is a a 7.5 point favorite against San Diego State. I think that is way too high. Houston is a a 7.5 point favorite against Miami. Creighton is a nine and a half point favorite against Princeton, and Texas is a four point favorite against Xavier. Mm. All the higher seeds are favored comfortably by Vegas odds makers, and we've had some people say they expect to have chalk when it comes to the Friday slate of Sweet 16 games. I don't know if I buy into that. What says you, Mr. Izerlo? I don't know why I said that like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. I, okay. know, I apologize.
4: Um, yeah, the, I, I I agree. The, the betting lines surprise me because especially when you get down to this point in the season, Um, you know, I wouldn't say you throw that stuff out because this is around the time that the clock strikes midnight for Cinderella typically in the NCAA tournament. So a team like Princeton, certainly up against it, but they don't, they're not facing a one or a two seed here. I mean, they're facing a really good Creighton team, but this isn't the same level as them trying to go in and beat Kansas in the sweet 16. So I give Princeton a chance. Now I, I would favor Creighton, but not by nine and a half. Um, and you know, same thing with Houston. I like Houston, and you know, I guess Vegas really feels good about their health after seeing them in the second half against Auburn. But I still don't feel great about it. Um, so you know, Miami's been the team that nobody picked coming in because of the injuries. It turns out Omir's actually healthier than we thought he'd be, and now all of a sudden they're playing really well. So yeah, I'm, I'm also very surprised that it's seven and a half. Again, I, I would favor Houston slightly in this game, but not nearly by that much. Now, Bama, I was against Bama heading into this tournament. I said I thought they were going to lose a game early, and uh, it didn't happen. And from there, you know, the way the bracket has set up for them, they do have to play a really good San Diego State team that can really score. So it's not a foregone conclusion, but I all of a sudden feel a lot better about Bama than I did coming into the tournament. So the thing with San Diego State, though, is that if they get hot and if they have a really, really good night, they can beat anybody. And so that one, I, I guess I'm not as surprised for the line to be at seven and a half. Um, and then Xavier in Texas, I think Texas by four is about right for that one. So finally, a game where I agree with Vegas there. I think Texas is a better team, but um, not by a ton. And if Xavier plays well, Sule Boom, one of the best names in college basketball, playing guard, they've got they've got some talented guys back there, so they can win that game. Um, but Texas, man, what a, what a season for them! They go through a lot of adversity, the loss of their coach, uh, you know, the firing of their coach rather, and all that and here they are still playing basketball at a high level
3: yeah it's going to be it's going to be absolutely amazing we'll see if some one seeds go down today and further create chaos for the ncaa tournament can you imagine a final four of florida atlantic gonzaga san diego state how great would that be and princeton and for like just can, can you imagine Last year's last year's final four we had Duke, North Carolina, Villanova and Kansas. <laughs> we're we're uh, not going to be necessarily blue bloods. I guess you can consider if UConn makes it they're kind of a blue blood modern blue blood, right? I mean, look, they've won more national championships in the last 20 years than Kentucky has or Kansas has. Just like to point that out. Just like to, just like to point that out. So we'll see NCAA tournament action. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. What is the best college athletics event? Is it the football playoffs slash bowl games? Is it the NCAA basketball tournament? Or is it the college world series? Or maybe is it one of the other? The Frozen Four? The swimming championships? Lacrosse? We left that option open. Right now, early votes on the poll question of the day on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. says 67% of you say the NCAA basketball tourney. 20% say football playoffs, bowls. 13% say College World Series. No votes for other. I thought there'd be more votes for College World Series. Salty Steve has chimed in. Football makes the world go round in every level. It brings more TV money and generates more revenue for schools than all the other sports put together. Hashtag no salt Friday. Ralph says, I love college football, but honestly, there are too many bowls and more and more top players are opting out. March Madness is great, but if LSU is in Omaha, the College World Series is off the
4: chart. So, hashtag undecided. So, nobody's headed to the Collegiate Rugby Championships in Washington, D.C., April 28th to the 30th? (laughs) That's what I'm hearing?
3: John Paul Cajun Daddy says... It is bowl season. It is now so woven into the Christmas season. It is time where we can see matchups that we hardly ever see. It is when the middle-level SEC teams also get to show that they would be top in the Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12. Once again, poll question of the day. What's the best college athletics event? Go vote on it. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. When we come back, Dawson and I will look ahead to the college baseball weekend slate, weather, coming in has thrown a monkey wrench into the schedules we'll give you the latest updates on that look ahead to those conference series that's next right here on the game and now an important message from Jerry Rice as a career-wide receiver I've been hit hard but no training nor practice We anticipate severe thunderstorms coming through the state and really the region of the southeast later tonight. So that prompted some rescheduling of your favorite college baseball and softball teams. All right? So we're about to give you an update on where we stand there with all the changes. Okay? First up is LSU. They're going to be playing at noon today. They were going to be opening up their series against Arkansas. This is a top 10 battle. This is phenomenal, right? Arkansas went to the College World Series a year ago. This is a great test for LSU, the number one ranked team in the country. They were supposed to start off their series tonight at 7 o'clock. That is not happening. They're now going to play that game at noon. So we will have pregame coverage beginning at 1130 today first pitch at noon and once baseball is done LSU versus Arkansas we will then switch over to the LSU women taking on Utah in the women's tournament sweet 16 game so there'll be no Jordy Holberg today no crunch time with Miguez and Mesh it's going to be LSU baseball followed by LSU women's basketball and we've been told that Because of the storm system and how it's going to maybe linger and come back through again, or part of it's going to be there on Sunday, there's a good possibility that LSU may play a doubleheader on Saturday to get the series in. Okay, so, but for today, LSU is going to be starting their series against Arkansas at noon, is how that is going to run. Okay, so noon o'clock for. LSU for the McNeese Cowboys they were beginning conference play this weekend versus Nichols that was going to be at the Joe they have bumped their game up as well they're going to play their Friday game today versus Nichols they're at Joe Miller ballpark that's now going to be at noon as well their Saturday game will be at 2 p.m. And then Sunday's finale will go on as scheduled at 1 o'clock. So due to rain in the forecast, McNeese versus Nichols to open up Southland Conference play will now begin at noon today as well. Then let's go a little bit closer to our home here. The Raging Cajun softball team. They were going to be taking on App State this weekend. They've moved up their game today at Lampson Park all the way up to 3 p.m. That that announcement was made last night, late last night, where they made the announcement that the softball team would be playing their game early there at 3 o'clock. So those are some... Changes to the schedule for some of your favorite teams. Did the UL Baseball South Alabama series change as well in Mobile or no?
4: Yeah, so uh, today's game didn't change, but they're going to play a doubleheader tomorrow, trying to avoid Sunday altogether. There we go.
3: So Cajuns, Jaguars will go on as scheduled tonight, but they will play a doubleheader now on Saturday to try to get the entire series in. So this is a storm system that's going to be affecting all of the Southeast.
4: Yeah, I I was just wondering if you kind of had, you know, you're you're an extensive knowledge of weather patterns and kind of pressure systems. I don't know if you had something to give us as far as what's kind of causing this or if we should be concerned. The Gulf of Mexico usually causes this. Okay, I just wanted to
3: know. (laughs) We live in a state that borders the Gulf of Mexico. That's what usually happens there. That's the best way of describing that. Well, why is the Gulf? Just go ahead and throw it out there, the Gulf. Now, all that being said, Baseball-wise, look, uh, we anticipate the Cajun softball team to take care of App State. I, I, I think we can all do, uh, go ahead and admit to that. The baseball team at South Al, that's tricky. Jaguars have lost seven straight. They are down. They are playing below their expectations. Cajuns are riding a five-game winning streak, but this is an old-school rivalry game. You're going to be playing three games now in two days. Excuse me, Stanky Field. The Jaguars get amped up for that. The fans will be amped up for it as well, even though South Alabama's had a slow start to the season. I think if you're the Cajuns, if you take two or three, I think you'll be happy. Right. Obviously, you always would prefer a sweep, but taking two or three, I think you'd be happy with that because I think South Alabama is going to play far better than their record suggests that they will. McNeese feels like they should win. They were picked in the preseason to win the conference. Southeastern Louisiana is going to have something to say about that. You know, the defending champs, defending tournament champs, rather. I like what I've seen out of Justin Hill's team. I feel like they're really coming together. After that sluggish first, what, eight, nine days of the season, things have started to come into focus for McNeese. And I like them against Nichols, even though Nichols has a pretty good program. But I like McNeese to win that weekend series as well, even with the adjustment in the time. The one that I'm the most interested by because I think it has the most uncertainty is Arkansas-LSU. LSU's the number number one team in the country. And they went to Texas A&M and they took two of three. If they take two of three out of Arkansas from Arkansas at Alex Box Stadium, then you got Tennessee next weekend. I'm just... Look, we already believe that the floor, the floor, not the ceiling, the floor for this team is getting to Omaha with their pitching and their hitting. That's what it feels like. Now, we've seen this happen before that the best team in the country doesn't even make it to Omaha. It usually happens every year if you're the one seed, and it happened to Tennessee a year ago. But if they begin this stretch, taking two or three against Texas A&M, a team from the College World Series last year, they then take two or three, or win, you know, win the series against Arkansas, and then take down last year's number one team in Tennessee. If they begin SEC play with those three series victories, uh, you're going to be hard pressed to beat this thing because now you're beating top-notch level, you know, top-level competition here. You're not beating up on UNO. You know, no offense to the Privateers or UCA. You're beating A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee. Don't forget, they have to make a trip over to Ole Miss in April. It's a fascinating weekend. Conference series weekend. I like UL to beat South Alabama. I like McNeese to beat Nichols. And I do like LSU to beat Arkansas. And we'll see if these are close games between the Tigers and the Razorbacks or if LSU is just that much better. Because if these aren't close and LSU comes out on top, Ooh, rest of SEC and the rest of the college baseball world is going to be put on notice because they're going to be a tough team to beat. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like
1: we're almost out of beer.
2: Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back Back to more kick-ass sports talk. With RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. Station.
3: I want to touch on something that's happening. And look, this is lying season. So let's be... Let's be very certain of that. Teams are doing their due diligence. They interview a ton of NFL draft prospects, Dawson, because just in case one of the guys falls to them, they want to do their homework, right? Tied 100.9 FM's Aiden Dollins reports that the Saints met with Alabama All-American pass rusher Will Anderson. That's great. There is no scenario on the face of the planet that the Saints are gonna be able to draft Will Anderson. There's yeah, just
4: there, not. Yeah, there is. It's what they always do. It's giving up half the farm system and the family cow. Yeah, you're gonna have up. to give it up in the
3: top three to do
4: that. Well so yeah, I know. I don't I don't think it's realistic, but no a, it's a, if they were if they were in the middle of the pack,
3: okay. If they had if they were like fifteen or if they still had their number ten pick, then I'd say yes. Because they could trade up. But you can't trade up for 29, dude. Will Anderson is not dropping out of the top five. So, I like that they did their due diligence and all. Also, strong Saints contingent at Ohio State's Pro Day. I know it's stunning that the Saints are interviewing Ohio State players. I'm going to throw something out at you what their changes are going to be. I feel like now the Saints are going to shift over. Pass rusher, edge rusher, could be their first-round pick, or an offensive lineman. And hear me out. You could move Penny to guard if they like a tackle in this draft. And the kid from Ohio State is an absolute monster, by the way. So, I, I I don't know. I feel like I'm changing my philosophy on how they're going to approach the draft because of what they've been able to do in free agency. We'll do a new round of mock drafts, by the way. We did them a couple weeks ago. We're going to do them again next week. So, it'll be our Saints mock drafts 2.0. We'll do those next week, and we'll make sure to share them with you. Also news, the Saints plan to work out former incarnate word Former Nichols, former Missouri, former Juco College, and former LSU quarterback. Uh, Lindsey Scott has a lot of stamps on his passport for college football. Are going to plan to work out the record-setting quarterback, Lindsey Scott Jr., who is projected to be a late-round draft prospect or a possible free agent signing. What do you make of that?
4: I mean... They work out a lot of guys. Like, I, I, sure. Can Lindsey Scott in. play in the NFL? Um, as a quarterback, pff, doubtful. Uh. Somewhere else, maybe. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, he, he did, and, and he finally got a little bit of stability at the end there with Nichols, and that was good for him, and they had some success. And but, then Incarnate Word, but he got bitched yeah, at Nichols. Right. And then he
3: had to go to Incarnate Word.
4: Yeah. So I guess I'll go ahead and say he didn't have a lot of stability there. I mean, he had one good year. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, it was a long it was a long winding path he took. But, um, I mean, he yeah, ended look, up being he, a good player in college. and I mean, he has the talent, but I, I don't know if that's really an NFL-type situation. If he gets the opportunity, good for him. Good for him. So, once again, this is lying season.
3: Just remember, lots of lies get put out there during this part of the year. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We'll kick it off with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast talking all things Astros. That's next right here on The Game.
2: Everything gonna be alright
1: this morning.
2: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Ah, oh, here we
3: are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Um, the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. Of course, I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way right now, bud. I know we got James Yasko patiently waiting to come on from the Lima Time Time Podcast, also contributor for the Houston Chronicle, also a coach of a playoff girls soccer team. My man is multifaceted. Um, I gave you the the title extraordinaire a week ago. Was I premature in that? Probably.
4: Yeah. It's been a tough couple of days, all right?
3: (laughs) The man's bracket got busted, and he just has derailed everything. Dawson, right now, is an absolute mess. Yeah. He's beside himself. He needs to go lay down on the veranda and take a nap. No, joking. You've been great, bud. You've been great. You're hard on yourself, but you've been doing great, okay? Keep it up. Keep it up. We talked NCAA tournament for most of our number one First day of the Sweet 16 in the books, second day on tap for today. Then we also did a dive into all the scheduling changes for college baseball, McNeese, LSU, UL Baseball Series. All have adjusted their times for this weekend because of the severe weather projected to come through, as well as softball. But right now it's time for us to talk big league baseball. That's right, the show with our guy, James Yasko. James, good morning. Thank you for patiently waiting well, I had a little bit of a therapy session there with Dawson, but thank you.
0: Hey, that's all right. It, it led me. Uh, I'm, I'm planning out when I can watch these World Baseball Classic games uh, this weekend. So, you know, <laughs> ready, am ready, ready to finally pay attention to that thing.
3: Uh, you had to watch at least the final, the finale. What did you make of Japan winning its third World Baseball Classic in five tries?
0: Uh, I, I I thought it was awfully sweet when uh, Shohei Otani struck out Mike Trout to end the game. Uh, and then they embraced on the pitcher's mound and, and Mike Trout whispered gently in Shohei Otani's ear. Are you ready to go win 79 games with the angels? (laughs)
3: So sweet. so I sent you the list and I know you looked over it. So Major League Baseball did this list about a week or so ago, about the top 100 players in the league. And then ESPN did their list. Not a lot. There's Astros on the list, but they're all kind of buried on the list, in my opinion, for the defending World Series champs. You know, I know Otani is the best player in baseball right now because of what he does. He's not the best pitcher. He's not the best hitter. But the fact that he's like top five, top ten in both of those things makes him the best player in baseball overall. So I get that. Right. <laughs> ESPN has Mike Trout as the second best player in baseball still, which, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Have we ever seen, can you remember, in all seriousness, you're a guy that's a historian, you worked at the Baseball Hall of Fame for many years, so you understand the history of the game. Have we ever seen a franchise have two, quote-unquote, generational talents like this and always finish below 500.
0: <laughs> no. No. You, you it's almost impossible to have the two best players in the game, the best hitter, one of the best pitchers and not be able to do absolute like it's so you can like have three good weeks and make the playoffs now. Like and and they they can't they can't do it. They can't do it. It's it's it is it was part of the deal that Artie Moreno signed with the devil. That he would have these two players, and they would never play in October. That that's that's part of the
3: deal. Mike that's Trout's what, been in the playoffs once. James once, once, once. That's it. Like, like and it,
0: was it was it just a wild card game? Has it been like one playoff game? It or was this three generations. It was it,
3: yeah. It was a three game series that that, that they lost.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. They didn't make it to the to the the big ALDS and got swept. So. No, no, no. we've never seen that. I mean, if you talk about Gehrig and Ruth and McCovey and Mays and uh n- no, like, like Christian Javier has more has more playoff wins than than Shohei Ohtani. Oh, man. Brad Peacock. Brad Peacock has more playoff <laughs> wins than Brad, Shohei
3: Ohtani. Brad Peacock has more playoff wins than Shohei Ohtani. I just I don't know. I, I, it's just fascinating because you watch it. And we, we know how great these guys are, right? And yeah, and we see that. And to to have two great talents and not to be able to do anything with it is just mind boggling to me. And <laughs> it's not that hard because look, we bag on the Seattle Mariners a lot. I, I get I know why, but they had a breakthrough season. They built it up the right way, right? With their young talent. They have a nice core. They they get to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years, and they actually push the Astros. And why can't the Angels do that? I mean, the the Angels have two, the two best players in baseball, and they can't even be above 500. Yet the Mariners, who have some great young talent, but no one considers them to have a top five player in the league right now. And they still made the playoffs.
0: Wasn't Julio Rodriguez seventh? He was seventh,
3: which I thought was enormously high. I like the kid. I like the kid. He had a great year, but I got to see more than just one year and a handful of games.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't be putting you can't be putting a dude that's that spent you know had hundred and fifty games of major league baseball experience at number seven. Um, you no, know, the the Angels can't do it because they're hilariously incompetent. Um, how you can't get twenty three league average players to complement Trout and Otani is uh, completely beyond me. And they've tried to they've tried to go the free agency route, and Rendon has played in maybe like six and a half games. Oh. Um, in the last I don't know how long has he been there four years and and it's it's just it's it's actually harder to do it's more impressive to do what the angels have done (laughs) excuse me where you you have those two guys and you can you cannot win 87 games like it's that's harder to do than it is to to mess around and luck into the playoffs so shout out to the angels
3: shout out to the angels
0: Sisyphus, just rolling that stone up that hill, <laughs> letting it roll right back down. On.
3: What'd you make of ESPN's list? What stood out to you about the top 100 players?
0: Uh, it, it was, it's real, uh, it's real Dodgers and Cardinals heavy, which, you know, is fine, I guess, uh, considering I hate both of those teams with the passion of a thousand suns. Um, no, it's, I, I just, I, it's sort of like the angels territory. Like I need to see the Dodgers actually win like a real, a real world series before I start giving them, you know, so they, they lap the NL West every year and then, and then get beat by, you know, the team that snuck into the playoffs, like that, that they, they need to do more with what they have than, than what they've done. And whether that's Dave Roberts, whether that's just, whether that's just bad luck or whether it's just a complete lack of any clutchiness, which everyone knows is not a thing, but it absolutely is a thing. Um, no, it's just it over it overvalues the the Dodgers and the Mets, but it also is, is sort of a reflection of how those two franchises run themselves, uh, that they're going to have the huge payrolls, which is fine. I'm not going to criticize how a billionaire spends their money, um, but and you're right. There were some Astros represented, but that's what that's what makes the Astros deadly.
3: Yeah, the, the team that just won the World Series, you know, their players. But I think that just reflects, OK, well, maybe they just they, they have more great players are very good players and, you know, maybe they don't have an Aaron judge. That's fine because they have more other guys and they have more of a team comms team concept. I, I want to so
0: deep that, I mean, that's, that's sort of what stands out about the Astros is that, you know, of all the players that they've lost to free agency and they keep making these, like you might as well call the ALCS, the Houston Astros invitational. Like that's, that's what it is. And so until, until the Astros, no can no longer win in the postseason then then you know g- give them their respect
3: we're talking with james yasko a man who demands my respect from the Lehman time time podcast he joins us here on rp3 and company which team presents the biggest threat in your opinion in the al west and in the american league to the houston astros we know it's not the angels is it Texas or is it Seattle?
0: It's Seattle. Just based off of track record, um, the the Rangers are moving in the right direction, uh, but but it's it's Seattle. Uh, you know that they were Jordan Alvarez away from from actually winning a postseason game for the first time in twenty two years, twenty one years. Um, hey, bud, they won the Seattle, game before
3: to get there. Don't forget. Say again? Seattle won the game before to get there. So they did win their oh, playoff game. Oh,
0: they did. They did win. They did win a game.
3: Dang it. The that slander. The, the slander.
0: <laughs> Friday is completely ruined now. Forgot that the Mariners actually won a postseason game. Um, no, so Seattle is the clear threat in the AL West. And and the Yankees, you know, the, the, the Astros are the Yankees' Baba Yaga. That, you know, the... It's it's just gonna be extremely funny to watch, you know, if it happens again where the Astros knock the Yankees out of the postseason, you know, again. This is kind of what they've routinely done since 2015.
3: National League. Obviously the Phillies make a great run, but Bryce Harper's gonna miss at least half the season for Tommy John. I know they went out and got Turner and they made some moves. But who do you think? Is the big contenders in your opinion to come out of the National League this year?
0: I mean, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Padres—you know—that's a fun little rivalry that that is is has been brewing between the Dodgers and the Padres as they race towards a three hundred million dollar payroll. Um, but you know, you keep acquiring talent like that, and you expect that it's going to that it's going to pay off. So, I think it's I think it's the in. In any order, and with the loss of Edwin Diaz uh, for the Mets, that that gives them a pretty big blow. But yeah, you've got to you've got look Dodgers, Mets, Padres, probably.
3: Didn't mention my Atlanta Braves. Was that done on purpose? Are you still upset about yeah. the World Series from a couple of years ago? What's that about?
0: Still, still pretty upset about that. I actually, it was. I was so upset. I remember what the weather was like the morning after the Braves won the World Series. Like it was, it was cold. It was rainy. Um, out of like nowhere like it was one of those it was one of those days in the south where it was like 80 the day before and then a cold front came through and it was raining in 43 degrees so
3: you yeah, should be no, nicer to my braves because we did give you a very good gm bud so i don't you know I, I don't know what's going on there i mean yeah you lost the world series to us but you've won one the next year and we gave you a gm i mean i think we should be good to go now
0: yeah, okay, yeah, we can call that even. That's fine. Um if if Dana Brown comes comes away with another World Series, then we're definitely even. So until until that happens, then okay. you know, we'll, That's it's on hold. <laughs> That's uh, no, the the Braves are the Braves are good. Um and it's it's gonna be a dogfight between the Braves and the Mets this year.
3: We'll get you out of and here I'm with this. Giving,
0: I'm not giving the Phillies any credit. I'm not giving the Phillies any credit whatsoever.
3: Phillies get no credit. Man says Phillies get no credit. I'll get you out of here with this what does Dusty Baker do with the lineup and with second base uh, with Altuve going to be missing at least two months now, at least two months?
0: I think that's that's going to be a David Hensley, Mauricio Dubon, sort of figure that out by vibes because that's kind of how how Dusty does it. So uh, they're going to try to fill it internally and and trust that the lineup is is strong enough that, you know, maybe your surprise midseason acquisition is Jose Altuve back from the I. L. So I think they're they're okay. Uh, you know, they're not gonna run out and and drop $250 million on somebody. Uh they're gonna try to fill it internally. Uh one option uh that they might look into is this guy that signed a minor league deal with the Marlins named Yuli Gurriel, uh <laughs> a little bit older. Um, but you know proven track record you know has some postseason success uh you know and and he's only on a minor league deal so you know, does he, he now would be worth looking he'd be worth looking into if i was the gm but i'm not
3: <laughs> james appreciate your time brother enjoy your weekend bud
0: playoff game tonight that's that's what's that's what's going on i'm, I'm a little i'm a i'm a little bit uh i'm a little bit off because it's it's our playoff game tonight
3: good luck go out there you know what you should tell your your girls you should go out there and say you know what no matter what happens, you're a champion to me. Or you could go the other route. I want you to go out there and physically assault the other team. They are going to leave here with a W, but you know what? They won't be able to walk right for the rest of their life. Which one do you think you're um, going to go with?
0: I'm going full Bud Kilmer. The The only pain that matters is the pain you inflict. Sort of varsity <laughs> blues vibe.
3: Uh, brother, enjoy it, man. Enjoy the time and good luck tonight with the with the game.
0: You will, you, I'm sure you will be getting a
2: text from me around 8 o'clock tonight.
3: I will. I, I anticipate it. Please do.
2: <laughs> Have a good weekend. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
3: Whole question of the day. We asked you, what's the best college athletic events? Is it the football playoffs slash bowl games? Is it the NCAA basketball tournament? Is it the College World Series or is it other? Could be Frozen Four, lacrosse, swimming championships, golf, whatever floats your boat. Darren's chimed in with the vote, NFL Combine, and I replied to him with a gif of stop it underwear Olympics do not count no 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 we do not count an event where guys run really fast 40 times and get drafted when they still can't catch the football that is not what we're doing I'm still going to like your comment because you commented Darren and you're a friend of the show but I don't care for the comment I'm just letting you know not NFL combine JPK, the OD, says there's only football except for Thursday night football. That still sucks. (laughs) Just a random bashing of Thursday night football. (laughs) Just just random. B-Rad says first weekend of March madness is the best. The College World Series lost something when they took away Rosenblatt. I would kind of agree with that. And made the championship a two of three series. The college football playoff has been a rerun too many times. Ton says on Twitter, I love it all, but at the risk of sounding like a Randy teenager, women's volleyball championships, but not for iffy reasons. Those matches are intense and impressive. The skill put on display is amazing. Volleyball doesn't get the love it should. Ton with the volleyball take today. I wasn't ready for it, but I appreciate it. That gets a like. And the notorious dub. Oh, my man. (laughs) Have a wonderful sports ball day. He has a hockey player using a tennis racket to hit a soccer ball. I'm here for it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Got only about a minute or so here before we bring on Seth Lewis from KATC, sports director, to talk all things Raging Cajuns. But D'Lo, producer extraordinaire, What's the best college athletics event for you? Is it the football playoff slash bowl season? Is it the basketball tournament? Or is it the college world series? Or is it something else? Are you bringing
4: something else to the table? Well, I threw out the collegiate rugby championships. Nobody really seemed to take the bait there. So no, no one did. Um, right now, <laughs> right now it's the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, if they now if they expand it, I might change my mind in the other direction. I really hope they don't. Just keep it where it is, please. Uh, when the college football playoff Expands to twelve and actually includes a group of five teams the way it always should have been. Um, I might think that's the best. We'll see how Ooh. that kind of looks in the first couple of years. Right. Um, in the current format, not a fan of the you know Alabama Invitational that we have in place. Um, hey, they did make it last year, bud. Yeah, they were close. No, they considered. got too, they got way too close. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I feel. I love the College World Series, but again, I would take the regionals over the World Series itself in most years because um, I just like the the mass quantity of consumption of content, right? The same thing with the uh, you know, with the other with the other ones.
3: So keep those votes coming. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter and we'll update it throughout today's show. Coming up next after the timeout, Seth Lewis, sports director at KATC joins us to talk all things Raging Cajuns here on The Game.
2: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Man, things have been going extremely well for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns of late, right? The men's basketball team wins the conference tournament, gets to the NCAAs. The baseball team is on a hot streak, five-game winning streak as they head into a weekend series against rival South Alabama. The softball team is doing its thing, and obviously spring football is in full effect as well. To break it all down for us is the sports director from KATC, Seth Lewis, joins us now. Seth, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend?
1: I am good, RP3. It's a good time to be a Cajun, man. There's a lot of exciting things happening for you will.
3: absolutely I want to start with the news' it is kind of uh, it kind of broke the last couple of days we anticipated some guys jumping into the NCAA transfer portal and maybe like Jordan Brown deciding to try to you know go pro but Themis Folks announces you know a couple days after saying that he was all down for bringing some more championships has decided to enter the NCAA transfer portal uh, it's it's what happens now right But how surprising is that move for you, and how big of a deal is that for the Cajuns?
1: Well, it was a surprising move for me because when you look at what they have coming back, and it depends, of course, on if Jordan Brown returns. If Jordan Brown doesn't return, you can argue that famous folks would be the best player returning for the Cajuns. I mean, he's a guy who not only led the team, but led the conference in assists, and he was a very steadying force at point guard, something that, at times in 2022 that they missed, right? Um, And so seeing him into the transfer portal was surprising, but it is interesting to note, and we're kind of trying to figure it out, but we have kind of confirmed that even though he is in the portal, it doesn't necessarily mean that he is leaving. So that's still to be seen. It sounds like he's uh, testing the waters a little bit more, but there is the chance that, um, that he can come back.
3: And look, I know raging Cajun fans get disappointed when they see guys leave and they've experienced that with the football team and having guys go elsewhere in particular LSU for, you know, going to bigger schools. I get the frustration, but on the same hand, this kid gets to the NCAA tournament, his exposure is its greatest as it's ever been for him as a college athlete. So these guys, you know, hey, they're going to flirt. They're going to look around and see if there's something else Sometimes it works out where you can be a good player like Cedric Russell was for Ohio State. Other times it can be like what happened to Malik, right, where he looked like he was going to be great and has really never kind of taken that next step after transferring out with the Cajuns.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I think if you probably ask Cedric Russell, he would probably say that he wished that he stayed with UL. You know, I mean, he went to Ohio State and they made the NCAA tournament but um, his playing time definitely dwindled there. And, I mean, you look at that squad last year. Can you imagine Cedric Russell with Jordan Brown? Yes. Like a one-two punch? I mean, like, they definitely would have been one of the favorites to make it to the NCAA tournament. And he's the difference in a a lot of wins last year being able to score down the stretch. So, I mean, you look at him. You look at Malik. You look at Thea Akuba. With Ohio, uh, with Ole Miss, uh, the grass is not is definitely not always greener. But I think the thing that like, cause you can't help like fans, you are fans of the Cajuns, you are fans of LSU, whoever it is. Like, of course, you're gonna take a lot of pride in your program, in your school, in the uh, programs that you support. But ultimately, college sports is a business. Um, it's kind of always been a business. You know, that's that's been uh, the elephant in the room, but especially with NIL and things of that nature, it's become even more of a business and more power is now in the hands of the athlete. And so you're going to see these things. And the, the biggest thing to note is just, you can't take it personal, you know, because just like right, a great player can go, a great player can come in, look at famous folks this year, right? Look at uh, Terrence Lewis this year. I mean, you wouldn't have known, Coming into this season, that Terrence Lewis would be a better fit than Theo Akuba, somebody who was the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year a couple years ago. Um, and yet, like, look at how well he meshed with Jordan Brown, and he was such a key piece to them going to the uh, and went, going to the NCAA tournament and winning the Sun Belt Championship. And so, um, so you know, if if he decides to come back, then I think that's great, and I think that bodes very well for the Cajun's future. If he doesn't decide to come back, obviously that would be disappointing if you're a Cajun's fan, but it does not mean that that gap can't be filled because uh, the transfer portal giveth it, and the transfer portal take it away.
3: We're talking with Seth Lewis, sports director for KATC. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we talk all things Raging Cajuns. Let's shift gears to the Diamond. The baseball team riding a five-game win streak. They take care of grambling in seven innings, and then gut out a win against Southeastern Louisiana in a couple of midweek games this week, Seth. They have to go on the road to South Alabama, the old rival. Now, they're down. They've lost seven straight, but still that's a rivalry series, so we expect it to be uh, a little salty, to say the least. What do you make of Matt Deggs's team so far as they just begin conference play?
1: They look solid. I mean, they, they definitely look solid. I mean, you know, Coach Diggs would definitely tell you that they're nowhere near a finished product. I mean, you could take last night's game, for example, It was a little bit of both, you know, because uh, the pitching staff, who's been pitching really well, I believe this was the third straight two-hit performance by the pitching staff, and so, I mean, and Southeastern is a very aggressive offense, especially when you get people on the base path. Uh, they're a team that likes to steal a lot of bases, cause a lot of chaos. Like, that's just who Matt Reiser is, and um, and has been at Southeastern, and he's done a really good job with the Lions. And so to hold that team to only two hits is a really is a big positive. But on the flip side, um, you scored two runs and had ten hits. You know, when you have ten hits, and I'm sure even more base runners, typically you'd want to score more than two runs, right? So Southeastern was still feeling like they were in that game, even going into the ninth inning. And so, uh, but that happens. That's baseball. Right, um, it, it, you can't score ten runs every game. You can't hold opponents to no runs every game. Um, but I think in general they feel pretty good uh, about where they are, um, continuing on into conference. It's going to be interesting because this is really, you know, thirteen of their last fourteen games have been at home. So it's been a while since they've had an extended road trip. You know, and this will just be for the weekend. Uh, but it would be interesting to see uh, how they do. Getting on the road after several weeks at home.
3: You know, another thing that stands out to me about this team so far, Seth, is, you know, the pitching is starting to come into form. You know, he's talking about using a couple guys as swing men that can, you know, be a spot starter and, you know, come out of the pin, which I think is going to give them a huge advantage down the stretch and for tournament play. But some of their best hitters, guys that we thought would be just tearing, you know, the height off the ball haven't really got going all that much, mm-hmm. at least as much as we thought they would at this point. What does it say about this team's depth that even some of their key guys really haven't got going, but it hasn't stopped them from having such a strong start to the season?
1: I think it says a lot about their depth, to be honest. I mean, Carson rockefeller I think he would admit that he's probably not having the start to the season that, that he'd want. I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, digs, and rightfully so, putting the expectation of, like, you know, when he's playing his best he's an all-american he's one of the best players in the nation and he's only batting 284 right now right um you know when you talk about max Marshak, who was uh felt like a guaranteed hit at some points last year uh only batting 164 those are two guys uh for example that i would imagine as time goes on the averages will balance out in their favor and yet um they are still playing really good ball. I mean, Heath Hood is hitting the cover off the ball, man. I mean, he is—he's played extremely well. Julian Brock, I mean, I think he's had three home runs in the last seven days, if not four. I may be, uh, I may be shorting him <laughs> some. And so uh, – and three of his four home runs. And so um, I think that – and then there's guys that they insert, like a Ben Show, like a Connor Higgs, like a Lee Amadee, uh, that come in in big spots of Mason Zombo, uh, that come in in big spots and have been able to do things. And so, um, and so no, it's, it's been impressive. And I think that what it definitely says is, again, if I, if I was a betting man, I would bet that Carson Rockefeller is going to get closer back to his averages. I think Max Marshak will get closer to his averages. And if those other guys can kind of stay where they are, a CJ Willis can can get back healthy because I know he's kind of been banged up a little bit. Um, you know, sky's the limit for the team, and the Sun Belt has definitely shown that. You know, if you can stay strong throughout, um, it's not impossible to be in the running um, to be a host.
3: Seth, let's say on the diamond, but let's go to the softball team. They've had some ups and downs early in the season, but they've also been able to notch a few wins against some top 25 competition. That may be enough if they run the table in the Sunbelt Conference to be able to host a regional. What do you think is the biggest strength of this team right now, and what do you think is the thing that you're still kind of you know, leery on about Jerry Glasgow's team?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that's a strength for them right now, well, for one, <laughs> uh, they're battle-tested. I mean – Man, they got to be tired of being on the road. As much as UL baseball has been at home, that's how much UL softball has been on the road. Their last home weekend, like being fully at home, was the first weekend. Literally February 10th, right? (laughs) Uh, The only other time where they, they spent, you could say maybe some extended time at home was the LSU-UL Invitational, where they were in Baton Rouge on Saturday and then back at UL on Sunday to play Texas a corpus Christi um, at LSU. And then they also played um, Ole Miss that Monday, too. So, um, so they're, they, they, they're battle-tested. Um, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of things that come their way later in the season that really intimidate them. I mean, you're talking about a team that's split with Florida, that split with um, that split with LSU. and even that tournament in Clearwater, uh, going one in five, even though that was over a month ago now, obviously wasn't ideal, but when you push the number two team um, and lose by only one run, uh, talking about UCLA, Arkansas who's the number four team at that time, lose by only one run, uh, even a Michigan team who has been a perennial power um, in the softball world, um, that being such a close game too. Uh, that tells me that they're, they're battle-tested. Uh, something that if there was a Leary and I think that um, it's been stepped up, it would be, you know, finding that ace, um, you know, finding that Summer Ellison. Because, like, this staff this is deep. I mean, you can throw out there anywhere from four to five girls in the circle and you feel pretty confident about them. And yet you still want that one person – that you know in a big spot that you can go to. And I think Megan Shorman has been that. I mean, like, she's really emerged uh, as the ace in that staff, and I think that's important because I just think when you get into those big games in April, in May, you do need somebody to lead the charge and then everyone else to kind of follow along.
3: Seth, tremendous stuff as always, brother. Thank you for your time. Keep up the great work that you and your team are doing over there with KATC Sports, my friend. See you out to the ballpark. Have a great weekend, bud.
1: Yeah, you too, man.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way, you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, man, it's Friday. We're gearing up for the weekend NCAA tournament, Sweet 16 action, Elite 8 action, college baseball, NFL free agency. There's a ton going on, but you know what else is right around the corner? Festival International. It's going to be coming back April 26th through the 30th. Joining us now on the show, of course, is Carly Viotor, our good friend from Festival International, as well as Katie Gilbert from one of the sponsors Stuller. Carly, it's been way too long. How are you?
5: I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having us. We're so excited that festival season is almost here.
3: It is almost here. Love this event. And you and I have talked about this event for a couple years. You come and you tell us all about it. And you always make a point of talking about the 5K. And I just want to let you know that those years of hard work trying to break me down to finally sign up for the 5K has paid off because yours truly will be participating. I didn't say run. I will be participating in the 5K. And I'm actually going to be doing it with my 8-year-old daughter, Hattie. We're going to do it together. We started some training. I'm trying to lose some weight So I'm excited to be able to run in the Festival International 5K for the first time And I'm going to do so with my daughter So I just had to make sure you knew about that
5: Oh, well, we're so excited to have you and your daughter It's so cool to see families get out there and run or walk or jog You know, there's no pressure to be the winner Some people are competitive And some just do it to have a good time and support festival So, you know, whether you're pushing your baby or you're trying to win um, The Festival 5K is for you
3: my daughter tried to tell me about what her goals are. She's like, "Like, Daddy, okay, so we need to do this, and I want to, I want to be able to, to finish here and everything." And I, and I just looked at her yesterday while we were walking and doing some jogging around our neighborhood, and I was like, "Baby girl, Daddy's goal is to not pass out and to actually finish the race. That's going to be the first goal." And uh, she just kind of looked at me, kind of side eyes, and goes, "Oh, well, I'm going to get you there." I said, "Oh, okay, okay. Uh, let's talk about it because it seems there is a lot of buzz building about this year's 5K. It's always been an immensely popular." event that you guys have put on as part of festival international but man i'm hearing more and more people signing up for it people are talking to me about it Uh, how much buzz is building about the 5k event itself
5: Yeah, so the 5K has grown exponentially since the beginning, and the community does get very, very excited about it. And uh, this year, we're actually planning to sell out before March is even over. We only have 150 spots left for the Courier de Festival 5K. Um, So if you're thinking about running, I'm glad you already signed up, Ray, because it is time. We are definitely going to sell out again this year. And it makes us so happy to see that people are enjoying this race and enjoying festival. And we're just so thankful to Stellar for being part of our sponsorship program and sponsoring the 5K. And we could not do it without them.
3: Not only have I signed up for this and my daughter, my new producer, Dawson Iserlo, also signed up this past week as well. So there'll be plenty of game representation out for the 5K. Um, Before we uh, start talking to Katie about uh, Stellar and their involvement and how uh, happy they are to be part of Festival International, we talked about the 5K. What else is going on right now as we start to ramp up for the festival? I know it's always a hectic time for you and your staff and all the volunteers. So what are some of the things that people need to have on their radar, so to speak, that are all about Festival International.
5: So you can always stay up to date at festivalinternational.org. So if you head over there, you'll see that you can register to volunteer. We still need many volunteers to cover the shifts that help us keep festival fantastic and free. So if you're thinking about volunteering, that's definitely a biggie right now. Choose the area that excites you. Come alone, come with friends, and pick the shift that works for your schedule. And with that, the schedule is available on our website as well. So you can see who's playing and get excited with us and check out the Spotify playlist if you want to, you know, start listening to the different groups, start grooving, getting excited. And um, while you're over there, you could also check out some of the new merch. We're going to reveal more of it in April, so keep an eye out. And also coming in April is our mobile app, which will be great. It's festival at your fingertips, so you can access that to look at the schedule during festival and leading up and just to stay updated with all things festival.
3: That's amazing. And you guys do such a great job, Carly, as well, of unveiling things and keeping people's interest. It's just not just, hey, this is what we're doing. You guys are constantly providing new information out there and uh, letting the people know because it seems like every year, especially post-pandemic, people are more and more excited about the festival every single year. That's at least how I'm seeing it and and what I'm hearing. Once again, we're talking about Festival International. It's going to return April 26th through the 30th. You heard Carly talk about the 5K. Only have about 100 spots left, so if you want to get in. In there, you want to be a participant, you got to go sign up today because those spots are going to fill up fast, they may not even last through the end of March. Now, I want to bring in Katie Gilbert, she's with one of the sponsors of Festival International. Katie, good morning, welcome to RP3 and Company, and just how excited are you about Festival International?
6: Good morning. Well, I personally love festival. It's one of my favorite ones that I go to because I think it's the most unique of all the festivals. Um, but Stuller loves being involved in this event. We have made Acadiana our home for the past fifty plus years. We do a lot within the community, but I do have to say this is one of our favorite events that we sponsor and, and participate in.
3: You know, why is it so important for you guys and your company to be involved? Look, you don't have to do this kind of stuff. No company is out there having to do these things it's, it's a choice that you guys make to not only uh, be a sponsor to be involved in all these events why is it so important to be involved in such a great event like this
6: well, for us, we want to make sure that our community is top of mind. Um, you know, we have customers all over the United States and globally, and we love our Cajun culture. We're proud of it, so we want to make sure that we are con- showing up in the community and contributing. But for our employees, it's also important that they feel like they're a part of a team. Um, we have 250 people registered on our Team Stoller, so we get out there. We have our Team Stoller shirts, and it's just really fun for us to start our day off with some exercise and so community and involvement with our coworkers
3: i got to ask you before I let you go, because you guys have given us great information like always. Uh, For someone who's running in the 5K, yours truly, uh, I used to run in 5Ks a long time ago. I was about 100 pounds lighter. So I'm older now, have less hair, and are far larger of an individual. So what's the recommendation that you have for the 5K? What should my approach be? Should my approach be not to pass out and embarrass my 8-year-old daughter? Or should I set that bar a little bit higher?
6: I think your approach should be to have some fun. It's just about getting out there. It's normally great weather in April. Whether you walk or run, it doesn't matter. I think you will be fine just crossing the finish line.
3: Once again, appreciate Carly and Katie for stopping by to talk Festival International and the 5K. That's going to do it for hour number two on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Final hour of today's show and the final hour of our week is coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah! Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Here
2: is producer Dawson Eisero and your big ball, beautiful host Raymond Parts the better known as RP Three.
3: Oh, 8.03 on the clock, which means this is the final hour of today's show and the final hour of the week here in RP3 Company. But don't be sad. Don't be filled with dismay in your heart. We still got a great final hour of today's show. Corey Diaz will join us from the Daily Advertiser coming up at a half hour from right now. He'll help us preview LSU Women's Sweet 16 matchup against Utah over in Greenville. My man is In Greenville, South Carolina. So we'll get a preview of that. Also coming up, we'll hear from Pam Flugens with the Karen Crow Cultural District. They have a great event coming up. Family-friendly event in downtown Karen Crow. We'll tell you all about that. But we got some time here. To kick off our number three. We know we've had a lot of interviews. So if you want to get your phone calls in, now is the time to do so. You want to chop it up with D-Lo, Dawson Iserlow, producer extraordinaire, a man who never gets rattled, even when technology betrays him. Or if you just want to talk to the big, bald, and beautiful one, yours truly, give us a call. Game hotline is open 337 706 That's 337-706-0111. And we are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Yes, sir. Ooh, you grabbed the microphone with authority. You got something to say. What you
4: got, bud? Well, um, I will say sometimes technology depraves... Uh, whoa, what's the word I'm looking for here? Betrays you? Betrays me. There you go. And sometimes my own incompetence betrays me, so... Those are the two things that have been really kind of working against me this morning. But you're powering through today in the week, bud. Yeah, and I told you, I came in and I gave you this reference. I felt like I, I felt like a guy who had a great bullpen session coming into today. Walked into the studio with a pretty good attitude Friday. Ready to go. Had the slider, had some bite to it. Oh. Fastball with life. Gave up a couple runs in the first inning, though. You know, kind of just got met. So I'm trying to battle through. Give him some length. I need to save the bullpen for the rest of the weekend. So, powering
3: through. Our yeah, guy's powering out.
4: through. Uh, I mean, I don't help things much, but.
3: <laughs> so let's just let's just be fair oh man great start to the weekend for the ncaa tournament right sweet 16 for the men were, was last night the women tip off the sweet 16 for them today men last night we have a great classic game dawson probably the best game of the tournament michigan state kansas state kansas state wins it in overtime As they move on to the Elite Eight, they're trying to get to their first Final Four since like 1964. It's been so long. It was even before I was born. So there you go. It's been a while. They got banners that hang up in the rafters of uh, their basketball facility, but they're from like the 50s in the early 60s. So it's been a minute since K-State was able to get to a Final Four. They get to the Sweet 16 a lot into the Elite Eight, but Final Four has been a bit of a hurdle. They're going to be facing off against Florida Atlantic. That's right. The Owls took down Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Owls make it to their first Elite Eight ever. By the way, more Conference USA teams are in the Elite Eight than there are Big Ten teams because now there's no Big Ten teams. They, They put the most teams into the tournament for the last three years, and yet they can't get through which is a, kind of a weird dip in things. Now, part of that's well, because Michigan State's been down, right? That That's part of it, and you see what Tom Izzo's doing, and they're building up again. So I'd expect that to change probably next season. I think Michigan State's probably going to have a top-five, top-ten team next year, especially
4: with the recruiting class mm-hmm. they have coming in. But Well, so the Big Ten struggles in the tournament, my thought process, and I've seen some of the you know analysts chiming in on this, when Purdue lost, some of the topic of conversation was that Purdue plays this very specific brand of basketball, and the entire Big Ten, to an extent, plays it as well. It's this physical, right. kind of slow-paced, grinded-out style of basketball. They don't have enough shooting. And what happens is you get into the course of Big Ten play, and you're playing Big Ten games. Obviously, you play you know, essentially 18 Big Ten games in a row, where you're completely focused on that mode. Now, early in the season, you're doing different things because you're playing non-conference. But you get into that, and then you go into the Big Ten tournament, and you play more of that. And so you've finally, you know, you've done your whole, you've, you've now been basically for three months straight just playing this, you know, similar style of basketball. Now, a couple of teams do it differently, but then you get to the NCAA tournament, sometimes you run into a team that's just completely, mm-hmm. a completely different matchup for you, you know? And I mean, like, think about a team like Missouri. I know they didn't play a Big Ten team in, in the first round, but a team like Missouri, that's just chaos, right? Just trying to turn you over, run up and down the court as fast as they can. They're going to miss a lot of shots, but they're going to make some shots. They're going to just create. Like the Big Ten doesn't play basketball like that, so when a Big Ten team runs into that in the first round, whether it's a you know a five seed, a twelve seed, or a sixteen seed, I think sometimes it's difficult for those teams to adjust to the way the tourney, the way you can play anybody. And so sometimes a team that has different ways of winning, which we talked about with UL throughout the season, and it almost ended up working out for them in the tournament against Tennessee, um, those are sometimes the teams that go further. Now you saw Michigan State. Izzo's smart enough to kind of change it up. You saw it in last night's game
3: yeah. where he went with a three guard, right? And he went small because he felt like, okay, I can make this adjustment. But, but you know, Tom Izzo's a Hall of Famer, right? So it's one of the greatest coaches that we have in college basketball. But I, I do think you're right. And look, Michigan was down this year, fell way short of expectations. People thought they were going to be good, and they weren't. They were just average. Michigan State was up and down as well. You know, one of your best teams out of the Big Ten, not counting Purdue, was Northwestern, right? The fighting future lawyers of America. So things go in cycles. I really think you need to watch out for Michigan State. I also think Michigan's going to have a bounce back year next year as well in the Big Ten. But Florida Atlantic, K-State regional final on Saturday – One of those teams is getting to the Final Four, right? Are there going to be other lower-seeded teams that are going to join them? That's the big question I have. UConn destroys Arkansas yesterday. I mean, just absolutely destroyed them. And they, for my money, have looked like the most complete and dominant team in all three rounds of the tournament so far is UConn. They have just outclassed and outcoached everyone they faced. They're going to be taking on a Zag team that is very interesting to me. So I think that's going to be a heck of a regional. The the two regional finals on Saturday are going to be just phenomenal. UConn versus Gonzaga and then Florida Atlantic versus K-State. The matchups today and then moving forward, how they are going to look on Sunday, those are the ones that We'll see. Well, everyone's saying that's gonna be chalk today. Vegas lines say it's gonna be chalk today. And usually, as you pointed out earlier on today's show, hey, the sweet sixteen is usually where Cinderella's stories come to die, where the clock strikes twelve, right? But Creighton and Princeton are facing each other.
4: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't consider Creighton that though. I think I think Creighton's a very good team and in a power conference as well. I think Princeton's the only team in my mind. That qualifies as a Cinderella, but I do understand the logic that San Diego State and Creighton are not teams that people think of as Final Four capable. So. Basketball
3: people know who Creighton is, right? Basketball people understand how good San Diego State is. The rest of America does not, right? So if you're below a three seed, for a lot of folks, that means you snuck into the Final Four.
4: Yeah, no, I, I get that. But again, and then, but the same logic to me, like UConn making the Final Four would would be somewhat surprising, but not not any like not even in the same ballpark as if a team like princeton were.
3: no 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 wildly different and, there's wildly different. and I even consider florida UConn, Atlantic. and i consider uconn one of the blue bloods now i know a lot of some yeah, people don't i don't
4: i i would yeah it depends your definition why of so bloods,
3: so so why do you have so much trepidation on that well i uconn is probably the example of the most consistent winning program in the last 20 years
4: I don't know if they they had a pretty decent stretch there between when they won the title with Kemba and you know where they weren't very good for a few years I I, for me blue blood is a more reserved term that really just consists of Duke Carolina Kentucky um, Kansas and maybe like Villanova Um, I, I, I keep that term a little bit more reserved but if you're just saying the most powerful best consistent programs then yeah you throw Michigan State in there and you throw UConn in there so I wouldn't like I think it's just about how you view the term blue Since blood. 1999,
3: UConn has won the championship four times. They've been to the final four five times. They have been now to the Elite Eight twelve 12 times. That's wildly consistent, and that's a team that's every five to eight years is in the mix for a national title. And so... Since 1999, UConn, four national titles, five Final
4: Fours, right? That's where we're at. But the last one is, is what? 20... 2014. Yeah. So, no, I again, it, for me, it's just a simple kind of like the, the semantics behind how you view the term blue blood. I view of it as like the overall program as far as the history of it. And I guess... Duke, of course, wasn't always that way. It was kind of once Coach K got there, but that's Kentucky, just, just a small thing.
3: Kentucky, by comparison. Oh, I know they've underachieved and since I, 1999. They've won one national title. Mm-hmm. They've been tournament runner-up once, and since 1999, they've been to the Final Four four times. So UConn has been a better program since in the last 20 plus years than Kentucky has.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue with that. Again, it's. It's just how I think of the term blue bloods, but it's, yeah, well, it's you a think, fair you, argument. You think of
3: like the last 50 years, right? So yeah. you're going to think Kentucky, UCLA, North Carolina, right. Duke, right? Those are the ones that are going to, Kansas, those are the ones that are going to pop up. And I, and I get that. That's why, that's why I did the disclaimer of UConn is a modern blue blood. Mm-hmm. Which, okay?
4: by the way, if I, to go back to the Big Ten conversation we were having, how interesting is it going to be when UConn? I mean, when UCLA is playing in the Big Ten? We talk about the stylistic differences of UCLA. Wow! Now you're going to have a West Coast basketball team playing in the, which. By the way, I hate. I all hate that. it. Oh, it's okay. so okay. it's so there we dumb. Go. We're going to have, no, and, and people and I know it. The it was brought up, but we're going to have like you know, of course, basketball and football. Like yeah, they'll figure it out. They they will, they'll be traveling across the country in in comfort and luxury, and it'll be okay. But think about like. UCLA heading all the way to Northwestern for a track meet on a Tuesday. Like, that's ridiculous. And how about,
3: <laughs> I mean, how about a women's basketball game for USC Trojans versus Rutgers?
4: And, and you're going to, and, and right, and now you not only say, you like, know, the travel, but now think about the, we talked about how difficult the UL softball schedule was, right? And the kind of the mental health aspect of it and the grind. And the NCAA is all about mental health. And, and now I know the NCAA is not who, you know, moved this team to the Big Ten, but. Correct. You're so worried about this mental health stuff. And now, again, yeah, on a, on a potentially on a Thursday night when you've got classes going on, you're going to ask these girls and guys to travel across the entire country and play in a basketball game and then travel all the way back and be going to classes and stuff and, and do that regularly throughout the conference schedule because UCLA and USC, guess what? Every single road trip they have is going to be ridiculously long. So, hmm? yeah, that was a rant I didn't think I was going to get into today. but <laughs> Anyway, it will be interesting to is. see how UCLA... And USC stylistically match up with a full Big Ten Big Ten basketball schedule. That will be intriguing.
3: Who do you like Saturday? We can't we we, we already talked about today's sweet 16, but we do have our two elite two yeah. of the elite eight matchups. Who do you like? Kansas State versus Florida Atlantic? And who do you like out of Gonzaga versus Yukon?
4: So for Kansas State and FAU, it, it, it all comes down to me of A is Noel fully healthy and, and ready to go, which I think he'll be fine because of how great he was down the stretch. Um, and, you know, they've also got, you know, Keontae down low. Like, they have some guys, and I've, I've said, I said it to go into the Michigan State game. I I thought there was no doubt about it. Kansas State was the better basketball team. And so this is, that's going to be the case again. I think they are a better, more complete team than FAU is. But FAU has a nine next to their name. They're not a nine seed. They're probably more like a five or a six. Um, and even, if not even better than that, they've got some scoring. And that's the thing, too. Last night, Tennessee kind of, kind of, um, clamped down in the first half for a bit. And I said to to my dad while we were watching the game, I said, Tennessee's about to do this for the third straight game. Just not have enough offense, but it doesn't matter. They're just going to defend you so well that they're going to win the game. Um, But FAU hit some shots. Coming out of the break, they hit some big ones. They were able to knock down some threes. Um, They got out and did some things offensively that kind of opened the floor for them. So they're going to have to do that again. And, you know, I think Noel, it's of course going to be a point of emphasis now for FAU defensively to try to stop what he's able to do. I mean, you think about the number of baskets he scored or assisted on. You know, I like looking at that number sometimes. Chris Paul always used to have crazy numbers like that. Um, when you score, what he scored right around 20 points and had right around 20 assists. So that's an unbelievable percentage of Kansas State's offense that ran through the point guard, who's only 5'7", by the way. But guy.
3: here's my, my only, look, I, I, I favor K-State in this matchup. The X factor for me, he exerted so much emotion and so much energy to do that. And when adrenaline's pumping, after the injury, because he was hobbled and had to be taken out of the game, he came back in and played amazing. Do you think he's going to play like that again? They might. When when, when he has time to settle? I mean, that's where the recovery comes in, and that's where the injury really starts to play a role, because you have your cool-down period – and then it's going to have to be coming off cold with the bum ankle. It's a lot different than getting right back into the game, getting taped up and getting a shot or whatever it was, and getting back in the game and playing with adrenaline. It's another thing to have to reboot, so to speak, with a bum ankle. That's my only concern. I still like K-State to win. I do because they do have some other dudes, just not the five seven guard.
4: Right, well, that's, that was going to be my next point. He's actually not their leading scorer. Ironically, right? He averages 17 a game, but 17.7 a game for Keontae Johnson that I kind of alluded to. So if he's able to get things going inside, now he also might create a little bit more of a mismatch, and we'll see how they try to play that. But um, FAU, again, they went 8-27 of 27 from three, so they took a ton. They made enough. They made enough to win. I think they'll have to shoot a little better percentage. Against K-State, K-State is good
3: of a defensive team as Tennessee.
4: Probably not, but a better off, but a, but a much better, better offensive offense. team. Yeah. So that's where it comes down to for that. So I think it's a good matchup. I again, I'd lean K State right now because I think they're I the too. better team. But um, I do too. FAU plays suppli- with attitude and confidence.
3: But it would not surprise you if FAU won Saturday. No, no, no. The
4: only again, the only result from here on out that would be very shocking to me is if Princeton won another game. Outside of that, I can see both sides of every game, um, and we'll see about Princeton tonight. So the other one, UConn um look, the gonzaga yeah and gonzaga yukon's played again like you mentioned they have played as good as anybody has in this tournament um now sunogo has been a problem inside for teams the biggest thing to me that's interesting about this matchup is that drew timmy got it going last night he and did. it was unbelievable 36 points and 13 rebounds in that game and he's kind of a guy we've seen some of the things he said and he's been there forever now people joke about him being there forever he's only been there four years he just had a traditional basketball career but just because of how many big moments he's played in, I guess that makes it seem like he's been there for so much longer.
3: Feels like he's been there for an eternity. Yeah. Right.
4: And but he's a guy that again, that's gonna be the focal point for UConn. Now they have Sonogo downside. Does Sonogo try to match up one on one with him? Is that the way they choose Ooh. to do it defensively? Do they kind of go with the double team approach? I don't know. Now, of course, Gonzaga has other options. This isn't, you know, a situation where they've only got one guy to go to. So stylistically it's intriguing. If UConn plays as well as they've played in the first three rounds, I don't think there's a way they lose this game. Um, but they probably haven't faced a team quite as good as Gonzaga. Gonzaga to this point. So I would agree with that. I took Gonzaga early on. They were in my championship game. They're one of the only teams left in my bracket that has um, you know, lived up to my expectations for them. So I'll have to keep rolling with the Zags for sheer principle. But UConn's playing really well. My buddy Jack, huge UConn fan and UConn graduate, I know he's fired up about this. So I'm, I'm happy for him at least. I
3: picked Gonzaga to reach the title game, but I also picked them to lose to Purdue. So what do I know? Uh, Look, Gonzaga has other guys. But, man, I I lean towards UConn because they have played so well. Like, they just look like a locked-in team to me. But I think of all the matchups, this feels like the biggest coin flip matchup of the weekend for me. Is that game right there. Gonzaga-UConn, because I think you would go either way. I think it's going to be a tight game. I just really do. I think it's going to be great basketball. Hey, just a reminder, today, because of the weather coming through the area, we're going to have LSU baseball starting at noon today. That's right. Pre-game will begin at 1130. First pitch from Alex Box Stadium for LSU versus Arkansas, a battle of ranked opponents, SEC rivals, will be taking place at noon after the baseball game is done we're going to switch over to the lsu women's basketball team kim Mulkey's squad in the sweet 16 over in greenville south carolina they're going to be taking on the two seed utah that is scheduled to tip at four o'clock so we'll have lsu baseball noon lsu women's basketball at four o'clock all of it right here on the game your home for lsu athletics here in southwest louisiana We'll talk more about the LSU women previewing that game when Corey Diaz joins us in about 15 minutes from right now from the Daily Advertiser. But up next, Pam Flugents will join us from the Karen Crow Cultural District. They have a great event coming up that you need to know about. Family-friendly type of event in downtown Karen Crow. We'll hear from her next right here on the game.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, brother, brother. Brother, brother, brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers. Right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Hey, don't forget to get your votes in on the poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the rest of today's show. But right now, it's time for us to talk about a great local event that's coming up. It's the Downtown Spring Festival, going to be held at Patriots Pavilion behind City Hall in downtown Cairn Crow. That's coming up on Saturday, April the 1st, from 11 to 3. It's a free family event celebrating the spring season and Easter. It's hosted by the Karen Crow Cultural District and joining us from the Karen Crow Cultural District as well as the owner of Let's Create a Boutique Shop in downtown Karen Crow is Pam Flugens. Pam, good morning. Thank you so much and welcome.
7: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
3: So let's talk a little bit about the downtown spring festival. What was the idea behind it? And why did you guys with the Karen Crow cultural district believe that this was something that the public needed?
7: We did not have a spring festival or anything going on in Karen Crow at this time. So we thought an Easter event would be a great time, um, or a great event to put on for families. It's a free event, a fun event, and we just want to welcome everybody to come by.
3: I've noticed in the last couple of years, Pam, uh, a lot of the organizations there in Karen Crow, including the Karen Crow Cultural District, you guys are putting an emphasis on putting on family-friendly events, a kind of a safe space, if you will, for parents to bring their kids and have a good time and not be worried about things. Why is that so important to what you guys are doing with the Karen Crow Cultural District?
7: It's important because we want to have a... A community so that um, people know that you know there's gonna be events, it's local, it's um, you don't have to go far, it's right here in Karen Crow. Um, and we can meet our neighbors.
3: It's so important to be able to get to know each other, get to know our neighbors and, and be involved in the community. And You guys are doing a tremendous job with that. Now, let's talk about the Downtown Spring Festival once again. It's going to be held there at Patriots Pavilion. That's the facility right behind City Hall in downtown Karen Crow. It's going to be Saturday, April the 1st from 11 to 3. You already mentioned that it's a free family event. What are some of the things uh, that you guys are putting on during the festival that are going to be great for the families to take part in?
7: So we will have games, um, arts and crafts, hopscotch, sidewalk chalk, Easter egg decorating, cookie decorating. We will also have two Easter bunnies with two different areas for photo opportunities, one being underneath the pavilion and one being just on the side, um, St. Peter Street. We'll also have an Easter egg hunt that will have um, four different age groups, uh, two to five years old, six to 11 years old, 12 and up. And we'll also have have one for children with disabilities.
3: That's amazing. I just wanted to let you know, Pam, you probably didn't know this. No one told you that I'm pretty good at hopscotch. My daughter has made me be good at hopscotch as uh, it started during the pandemic where we had to stay at home. And she would say, let's play hopscotch, daddy. And then she drawled in the driveway. And she's like, I'm like, you realize your father's 300 pounds and you got me going out there on one foot acting like a fool. But what are some other things that you guys have going on with food and music? I know that's part of the downtown spring festival as well.
7: So, we will have a DJ and dancing near the pavilion. We'll also have our Karen Crow High School wrestling team that will be our main food vendor. And we'll also have Dee's Rap Cafe. She will also be serving up some good shrimp and grits. And what is music without musical chairs? So, we'll also have musical chairs, uh, the game.
3: You had me when you said shrimp and grits. You probably should have led with that, Pam. You should (laughs) have said, by the way, yeah, we're doing all this other stuff for Easter, but there's going to be shrimp and grits on site. definitely gets my attention uh pam uh, i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you to share information with the folks out there listening this morning where they can go to get more information about the downtown spring festival
7: Please visit our Karen Crow Cultural District Facebook page. This is where we post a lot of the events that go on in Karen Crow. So we have a lot of big events that's coming in addition to the Easter event. So please follow that Facebook page. But you can also follow my Let's Create LLC Facebook page along with our Karen Crow Kiwanis Facebook page. They are the ones that will be putting on the Easter event. So follow them as well.
3: Pam, appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Can't wait to go check out the Downtown Spring Festival. Once again, it's going to be held at Patriots Pavilion behind City Hall, Saturday, April the 1st, 11 to 3. Of course, the Karen Crow Cultural District is helping to put this on. It's a free family event that celebrates the spring season as well as Easter. Got an Easter egg hunt for different age groups, games, cake decorating, cookie decorating. There's going to be shrimp and grits, fellas. Pay attention. It's going to be a great time, Pam. Thank you so much for stopping by, and best of luck with the festival.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles southwest louisiana's sports station
3: oh oh, man it's been a jam-packed friday talk to astros with james yasko of the lima time time podcast We talked all things Raging Cajuns with Seth Lewis at KTC. We talked Festival International with Carly Vietor. We talked the Karen Crow Downtown Festival with Pam Flugens. And now we're going to talk LSU women with the man who's in Greenville, South Carolina to cover their Sweet 16 and hopefully Elite 8 games this weekend. From the Daily Advertiser, our good friend Corey Diaz. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you?
8: RP3, good morning, brother. How's it going?
3: How do you feel about being the closer on today's jam packed edition of RP3 and Company? You comfortable with that?
8: Uh, Yeah, because I feel like uh, the rest of the folks have already built a a 15 to nothing safe lead, so we're good. (laughs) I like that.
3: I like that. So I do a little research, as I typically do for these games. Uh, I did not realize that Utah was the uh, third best team in the country when it came to scoring. They score like 83 and a half points per game. They're averaging 8.33 pointers a game. The Utes are the Pac-12 regular season champs. We saw LSU play sensational defense against Hawaii and Michigan. They're going to need to have the same sort of effort today, aren't they? Yeah, there's there's no doubt. Um,
8: although, I'll, you know, I will say, uh, Raymond, you know, I've done a couple of radio spots the last couple of days, and, and kind of that's been one of the, the main questions, obviously, and Look, I mean, you know, LSU, look, they can win on the defensive end, but they're also kind of built to, to outscore teams as well, right? I mean, you got Angel Reese inside. You got Alexis Morris that can get hot literally at any moment in the game. You got Jasmine Carson, who uh, is shooting the ball better right now than what she was maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she could give you 12, 15 really quickly. I mean, so LSU's built to win multiple ways, which is why I think. Um, you know obviously according to Kim right they just wanted to win one more game than they did in their first year so they're get to the sweet 16 so they've already quote unquote exceeded their expectations right but that's why they're one of the 16 teams still standing because they're built to win in multiple ways um, and I think this team is obviously it's going have to come down to <laughs> it's gonna have to come down to a defensive stop at some point point. Um, and, and I think inside with angel um, you know it's kind of getting this, what I would say is probably some of the best defense that LSU has played um, in a few weeks, um, you know, between the, the loss to Tennessee and in, in the semifinals of the SEC tournament here in Greenville versus, you know, what we'll see later today. You know, I think Kim and, and her staff has really put so much focus on the defensive end of the floor these last couple of weeks that, you know, what we saw against Hawaii and what we saw against Michigan in round two was obviously a product of, of just kind of that focus. And so, you know, I asked a lot of the ladies, you know, after the Michigan game, you know, before, you know, we all got to Greenville, you know, if they felt like they were playing some of their best defense that they played all season and, and the you know, the consensus was a resounding yes. So I, I would anticipate LSU, um, you know, from a defensive perspective, they're going to hold Utah less than what their scoring average is. Um, and, you know, we'll see, obviously, if they're, you know, like I said, they're, I think they're built to win in multiple ways. They can outscore teams, so we'll have to see if, if offensively they're clicking uh, this afternoon.
3: Corey, Alexis Morris struggled to get her shot to fall early against Hawaii. Finally ended up getting six points late. She struggled to get her shot to fall against Michigan. It came together just like it did against Hawaii late. She was able to get 11 points. Does Alexis Morris need to score early and often for this team to be able to win today against Utah.
8: Yeah, you know, I think um yeah, I think just her individually, right? I think she needs that confidence early. Um I don't necessarily believe that, you know, um, you know, there's a particular number, right? Like, you know, whether you know, if she scores seventeen or less, you know, LSU's gonna lose today. I don't I don't think that because you know, look. The, the, the matchup is Alyssa Peely, uh, you know, Utah's forward uh, versus Angel Reese. I, I think they will match up a lot individually today, um, and you know, that's where that's where this game is probably going to be won and losses is, is is Angel's defense and her ability to rebound the ball. Um, you know, Utah they spread you out. They almost run. <laughs> it, it, it almost looks like if if any of your listeners have watched a lot of Alabama men's basketball play this year, uh, Utah kind of runs something similar to what Nate Oates' system is. They'll spread you out. They do shoot a lot of threes, but they're they're also a drive-and-dish team. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the paint for Angel to, you know, alter shots, block shots, uh, force uh, Utah to uh, pass the ball to someone on the perimeter who maybe is not fully open. Uh, and maybe you can force some mistakes that way. Uh, so I don't, you know, with Alexis, I, I just think individually for her, she being the ball, going the basket early today um, would do wonders for her confidence. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like Jasmine uh, against Michigan, right? You know, she comes off the bench for the first time in it, all season long, and uh, she gets in and, and she sees her first couple of shots fall. You know, uh, that was huge for her. Uh, I think Alexis right now is, is kind of – in that same vein where if she can see the ball going to basket early um, you know, yeah, she could go for 30 today. Uh, but I don't know if there's a, if there's a number, you know, whether it's in Kim's head or, or even Alexis's head about, okay, I need to get 17 points today or we're going to lose. I, I just don't really, I don't really buy into that.
3: Well, I, I don't buy into that either. And, and that's not what I was asking. I just know how animated Kim Mulkey was wanting her star point guard to score. And the shot wasn't falling. And I think it would help Alexis a big deal. Even if she only scored four points, Corey, in the first half. If she was like two for four shooting, but she had a couple of those shots actually fall. I think it makes a huge difference, especially late in the game if it's tight. Because Alexis is going to feel a little bit more confident that she can make the shot. I guess that does the better way of framing that.
8: Yeah, and you know I'll. <laughs> this man I wants to argue not, with me. You're he you're doesn't say he doesn't think Alexis Morris look, needs think, to score. Well, look, look. I, I think uh, I think in terms of clutch moments this year, I, I think there hasn't been a, a a more clutch player on LSU women's basketball team than Alexis Morris, and and, and she's also hit big time shots late in games when she hasn't had a good first half or a good first three quarters. Um, you know, the Georgia game really comes to mind. She did. She did not play well because Georgia's defense was causing so much fits for her early in that game. She didn't get going into the fourth quarter, and then Georgia was winning by two. She hit the shot that that propelled LSU to to get into overtime, and then she hit the big time shots in overtime. I I, I think Alexis, because of her experience, she's been playing college basketball for five years now, um, and she. I mean, if you if you been any time around her like she's she's not bothered by you know going over five in in the first 17 minutes of a basketball game which i think is is honestly that's probably the biggest key as it relates to her as you know lsu continues to make this run during the ncaa tournament is, is as long as she can remain confident in herself yeah you may you may start over five or you may start one for eight um but when the game's tight in the fourth quarter as long as you're still that same confident, alexis morris that's hit big time shots in the fourth quarter you know, all this year, you know, against Ole Miss, against Tennessee, against, uh, you know, against Georgia. I mean, she's been that player for this team, and and as long as she stays in that mind frame, I I think she'll be okay.
3: I'm not disagreeing with that. We just disagree with the fact I just think she needs to score because I think Utah is going to be one of the toughest teams they faced all year, and it's a far better team than Georgia is. So I, I just think she needs to get started earlier than later. Let me ask you this. Besides, well,
8: well let me. I'll, I'll say. I'll say okay. this real quick about Georgia.
3: You know, I don't. I don't
8: know if you watched the Georgia Iowa game, uh, but Georgia really pushed Iowa, and and Iowa arguably has the best player in the country in Caitlin Clark. Uh, look, Georgia. I, first off, I thought they were under. They were underseeded in this tournament. They were better. They were better than a ten seed, and uh, you also have to think about. You know, they have one of the better point guards in this league too. You know, in diamond battles, so um, Georgia. Georgia it was severely underrated. Um, I do think they were, they were a top top twenty five team. Uh, they just didn't get the votes because you know in those games against the LSU's, against you know South Carolina, you know it looked like they were, and they were. I mean, for you're talking about talent, they're they're obviously overmatched as it pertains to the talent. But the way they play defense, it's like Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss beat Stanford in the tournament last weekend. I mean, and Ole Miss is in the Sweet Sixteen. It's that some of these teams can really thrive with how they play defensively how they scheme it scheme it up for them and I think Georgia and Ole Miss are very similar in that and uh, I would not have been surprised if Georgia had beat Iowa uh, the other day to get to the Sweet 16 because I do think they were good enough and it took Iowa all four quarters to win that game so um, it kind of goes back to I get that overarching uh, conversation that's kind of been taken over women's college basketball the last couple of weeks since the tournament has started is that Hmm, seems to me that the SEC as a whole was severely underrated this year. Yeah, we're, it was very top heavy, but that middle tier was actually very good. Uh, and I think people are now seeing that.
3: Well, I think the reason why national folks probably thought that, Corey, was because South Carolina destroyed, right? And so they just said, <laughs> yeah. right, right? So they're just like, well, you know, South Carolina's great, but everyone else is maybe not as good but not taking into consideration that South Carolina is clearly, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else on the face of the planet. And when it comes to women's basketball. All right. Let me ask you this. We'll get you out of here with this. What's the X factor in today's game between Utah and LSU, in your opinion, that's not involving Angel Reese or Alexis Morse.
8: Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, again, I, I think it's going to be rebounding. Um, and I know that's that's a very simplistic, um, you know. I guess X factor in answer to your question. No, right? but, but it is important.
3: I, I it's, it's very important.
8: Yeah, no, and I think it's important because you know, if if you go back and look at the box score um, in the Michigan game, look, Michigan was very talented offensively. You know, Leia Brown, um, she's very good. Uh, she she had size. You know, she kind of was playing not really in, in a natural position for her, but her versatility, you know, we saw it in the first game against UNLV with Michigan. You know, Leah Brown's, uh, her versatility opened up so many things offensively for Michigan and what they what they like to do. Um, but LSU completely shut that down, and obviously Angel Reese played a big part in that. But they, they kept Michigan from having, like, they had zero second-chance opportunities through the, through the first two and a half quarters of that game, they didn't. Michigan didn't get an offensive rebound until I think there was like it was like three minutes into the third quarter. Yeah,
3: it was ridiculous, dude. If,
8: if, if, yeah, if LSU, if LSU can limit Utah's ability to have second chance opportunities, if they can go one and done, uh, you know, I'd say seventy percent or seventy five percent of Utah's offensive trips today, I feel really good about LSU's chances of getting to the Elite Eight.
3: I agree with you there, Bud. See, we end up with some agreement. We just had minor disagreement. Look at that. Look at that. Minor kumbaya. disagreement.
8: We're ending Friday on a kumbaya. <laughs>
3: <laughs> look, and I look. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back. Alexis, the the great thing about her, and you made the point, and I, I don't disagree with you on this. Even when she's like 0 for eight, she still believes her next shot's going in. Right. So she's that type of basketball player that even when she's having an off night. She still has the confidence to shoot it anywhere on the court. It doesn't matter to her. And you can't teach that. Like, you you either have that or you don't, and Killmoke has that with her star point guard.
8: Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's their relationship to uh, RP3, and I think that's been very important for Alexis, too, is that, I mean, Alexis, like like we've been saying, right, Alexis can start the game 0 for 7, but not only does she believe the next shot's going to go in, but Kim believes that with her, too, you yep. know? Kim Kim's gonna to continue to to encourage her to take the open shot or, or, or you know create some space for herself, create some offense, offensive opportunities for herself because that's how much she believes in Alexis and Alexis is good enough to do that. So um yeah, I, look obviously, you know, Alexis is gonna play a big role um in today's game. I think for her, if she can get some if she can see some good things happening for herself on the defensive end, get out and transition, you know, get make some fast break layups. Uh, that's usually kind of what really sparks her. So if she can get some steals or, or force some turnovers early in this game today, uh, I think you I think you probably could see her have a 20-point-plus 20, 20 uh, performance
3: today. Brother, enjoy the game. Keep up all the great work that you're doing there, reporting for the Daily Advertiser. But, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy.
8: Appreciate you, brother. Y'all take care. Have a good weekend.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
3: Oh, I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, Seth Lewis from KTC, Carly Viator from Festival International, Pam Flugens from the Coe Cultural District, and Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. We decided to go big or go home on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Poll question of the day, what is the best college athletics event? Is it the football playoffs slash bowl games? Is it the NCAA basketball tournament? Is it the College World Series, or is it other? Nearly 75 of you cast your votes today. 39% of you say it's the NCAA basketball tournament. 31% say the football playoffs slash bowl season. And 24% of you say College World Series, with only 6% saying other. Robert says football is always king. Love the tournament, though. Nothing wrong with that comment. Krista says, don't get me wrong. I love football and baseball, guys. But something about those guys swimming. <laughs> love the, I love it. I love it. Love all the comments. Thanks to all who voted. Thanks to all of you who also left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. Reminder, LSU baseball at noon today against Arkansas right here on the game. And that will be followed by LSU women noon. Tipping off at 4 o'clock versus Utah in the NCAA Women's Tournament, Sweet 16. We'll have both of those games for you. Also, be careful out there this weekend. Got the severe thunderstorms coming through. That's readjusted all the baseball and softball schedules across Louisiana and across the Southeast. So if you're having to travel this weekend, be extra careful, please. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Izerlowe. Man, needs a weekend off. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.